Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think a lot of us have known a certain kind of imbalance that seems to be in place here for the rivalry game against Georgia Tech on Saturday. On the one hand, last night, Georgia ranked number one again for the college football playoff top 25. A really clear path towards potentially repeating as national champions. You've got all of that right out in front of you right now. If you're Georgia, all of that kind of feels really good. And yet on the other side of this for Georgia Tech, well, they don't have you know as much postseason stuff to play for. They don't have that going on right now. But they could somehow shock the world and get the win against Georgia and they're bowl eligible. All of a sudden, they're kind of in play for that. It sort of seems like Georgia has less motivation for this individual game, but far more to play for beyond this. Tech has right now seemingly nothing to play for beyond this. All of its eggs can kind of be put in the basket of trying to do something against the in-state rival. And this is, in college football, sort of what makes things fun from time to time is is that you do have these kind of individual game moments where it can feel like a really big deal even if the two teams have very different you know goals once they leave and move past this game so for Georgia fans who just want to see their team play well every Saturday and for Georgia fans who really have you know this big desire to continue dominating clean old-fashioned hate the question that's been kind of asked a lot this week is okay well what do you do about this what do you do to make sure your team is as ready as it can be for a big rivalry game like the one that it's going to play on Saturday and I thought last night Kirby's Mars actually asked an interesting question given the fact that Kirby is an alumnus of Georgia and you've got other guys on the staff who are also UGA alumni here who played in this rivalry and in some cases tasted defeat in this rivalry do you go back do you tell the old stories do you go back back in my day back when I was playing here's what Georgia meant versus Georgia Tech and all that kind of stuff do you do those kinds of things if you're Kirby smart and I thought that Kirby gave an interesting answer to that and in the midst of answering that he also kind of pivots here to something else that I think it's really important to keep in mind about the rivalry game against Georgia Tech and also kind of the larger picture we've been looking at with Georgia football here this week. Good stuff from Kirby last night. Take a listen to this. Not really. I mean, I thought about letting guys share, but most of the guys here that were share were here while I was here. And, um, you know, we shared some video, some uh, history, uh, some video footage and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I just I don't know if kids care about that. I really don't. They, 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 everything is relative to them. Um, they see us out there like dinosaurs, and um, they don't they don't look at it as as relevant. So what's relevant to them is that um, probability doesn't equal reality, and you can't go off probability. These games are decided on, on on the grass, not on paper. And if we learned anything last week, is that probability doesn't equal reality. So you got to go out and play good. So I'm going to respond to that in kind of two different ways. And I think the stuff that Kirby Smart says there at the end is really fascinating. And it kind of echoes what we've talked about here this week, which is as a Georgia fan, I am. This is a fan-oriented conversation. Me a fan, you likely a fan. And we're all kind of talking about this from the vantage point of we have a preferred outcome here. We want to see Georgia go for two and 22 and win the national championship again. What I've told you this week is, and coming off the Kentucky game, I think this became even so much more clear to me is the big nemesis standing in Georgia's way here is not any individual or particular team. That's not what stands in Georgia's way right now. To me, the biggest obstacle that Georgia's got to clear to go back 
to back as national champions and go for two in 22 is dealing with the overall weight of having to play a 15 game schedule and run through the gauntlet of the sec and now finish off this game in this regular season against an in-state rival and then go on to the sec championship and then go into the college football playoff and then go on to a national championship game after that and then finally win that game when you get there that's just a lot that kind of adds up to george and the probability is this george is going to be a pretty big favorite certainly in this game on saturday and really a sizable favorite in almost every other game it will play the rest of the year and at least a favorite over any potential opponent uh but yet still probability doesn't as kirby smart says equal reality we're gonna talk more about that in a moment because i think it's a really interesting point but when you hear kirby speaking that way this is the thing that i might imagine some uga fans are kind of thinking and saying here a little bit that's really logical but is it emotional enough and if georgia players as kirby smart says they don't care like it's almost what kirby smart's saying there as as a former player who played here at this program trying to get these players to care about something that happened in the 90s that's just not an easy thing to do that you can't get them to necessarily care about what mattered to you uh you know three decades ago or however long that's been before and i think that if you're a georgia fan you might hear kirby who clearly leans into logic and the logic that he uses makes a lot of sense there's certain like i guess sort of philosophical reality that he puts on display there and that certainly is is i think accurate and i said said before it's, it's pretty sensible but we kind of know that there's a certain amount of rivalry game success that's really kind of propelled by emotion. That's what Georgia seemed to have on its side when it played Tennessee in its most recent home game, which feels like nine years ago, but was actually the last home game that Georgia played to begin this current month that we're in, November, that Georgia seemed to have a little bit of an emotional edge that day, maybe because they were doubted, maybe because you know whatever the overall story was but they in addition to having the better overall team they also seem to have the emotional edge going into that game against Tennessee when you hear Kirby Smart saying you know players don't care about what happened back when we were playing or you know you know players have to ignore the odds you're sort of left to wonder well gosh is that enough emotion to to match what a rivalry game requires even if you're playing a team like Georgia Tech which by almost any measurable characteristic doesn't belong in the same field by Georgia uh same field with Georgia but do you have the right emotional edge for a game like this and here's what I'm going to tell you and I'm going to kind of come back to this probably a couple times throughout the week in fact we've probably already been here one time before is that there is a way in which Georgia talks about things publicly, and there's a way in which Georgia talks about things privately. And when Kirby Smart steps up to the podium and does a press conference and he's like, hey, we're not really going back and talking about what happened back in my day when I was playing because, you know, listen, these players don't necessarily care about that. That's not necessarily a big deal to them. You know, it comes across as very, I guess, reasoned and logical, but not particularly emotional. And yet, Anytime we've ever seen an example of one of these speeches, whether it be a pregame speech or a halftime speech or anything like that, this kind of like found video, this sort of captured audio that wasn't necessarily supposed to be uh, made public, but somehow it kind of leaked into the public. What we see behind closed doors is, is that there's almost always a lot more emotion in those kinds of conversations than sort of exists in the stuff that is kind of filtered through the media in a press conference situation. In fact, let me give you an example of this here for a moment. Kind of the exact opposite in terms of how players respond to Kirby than Kirby describes. Kirby would sit there and say, ah, these players don't care about our feelings on this. this these players don't care uh, what we went through back in our day, back when we were playing. We don't even bother telling them that because that doesn't move them at all. And yet if you hear former Georgia players who've kind of come through this program, who played under Kirby Smart, 
they are pretty clearly aware of what matters to Kirby. They are pretty clearly aware of the kind of emotion that he brings into these rivalry games. It's one of the things I think for those of us who are Georgia fans is really fun. When you've got a former Georgia player and a Georgia grad as your head coach, he kind of views these moments from the perspective of a Georgia guy, and that's a really good thing. I'm going to give you an example here. A few years ago, I worked with Cameron Nisleg. Remember him as the Georgia punter? A really good punter on the 2017 team. Came back the following year. Now, Cameron's still playing the game right now. Has had some time in the NFL. I believe he's about to play in the XFL. I believe I saw that the other day. But in 2018, he was kind of sort of working his way towards earning a spot on one of these rosters. And he did the Dog Nation postgame show with us that particular year. And so going into the Georgia Tech game, and this is back when Paul Johnson was still the head coach. Let's make some uh, make this clear because that's the context for this particular clip. But going into that game against Georgia Tech in 2018, uh, Cameron Nislick, who had played on the Georgia roster the previous year, made it very clear how Kirby Smart feels about Georgia Tech, even in the uh, clip that you just heard that kind of removes all that emotion. Behind closed doors, the Georgia players experience apparently a very different version of Kirby. Take a listen to this. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Kirby Smart hates Georgia Tech. Throughout the season, they actually, once a week or so, they do a little period for Georgia Tech. Even though we're not playing them, they focus a little bit on Georgia Tech every week. So listen, that's one of those deals where, okay, so back then that hatred that existed for Georgia Tech manifested itself because you're getting ready for the triple option, something like that. You're not really doing that for Tech anymore. But you hear Cam say from a few years ago, behind the curtains, let me, let me give you a little peek here, Kirby hates Georgia Tech. So even though when it's very measured and very you know presidential in the press conference world with all of that, when it comes to the behind-the-scenes stuff, Kirby Smart, as former player would say, makes it very clear what his overall feelings and passion are for Georgia Tech. We said this on one of the shows earlier this week, that the present tense conversation what matters here. This is a Georgia team that has tasted defeat against Tech since Kirby's been head coach. You don't have to go back to the annals of way back in the 90s when I was playing. You can say just a couple of years ago in this stadium, we lost Georgia Tech, and that conjures up a certain level of emotion in a former player right there good enough to give us a peek behind the curtain to, to kind of tell you more about what that's all about but that said let me also talk about the other thing that that uh kirby mentioned there a moment ago the notion that probability doesn't always necessarily measure reality georgia is more than a 35 point favorite in this game against georgia tech on saturday and what Kirby Smart went on to also say in that press conference yesterday is, hey, you know, go back and look at Michigan, who struggled last week with Illinois. Go back and look at Ohio State, which struggled for a good while last week against Maryland. Go back and look at Tennessee, which got embarrassed in defeat against South Carolina. Georgia didn't even meet the point spread expectation in its own win against Kentucky. Go back and look at that last week, that oftentimes these point spreads, while they are a projection and they're certainly based on the available data, they don't always completely match reality. And as Kirby would say, that Georgia can't just be comfortable assuming it's going to get an easy win against Georgia Tech just because the odds makers say that they're going to. And this sort of leads us into kind of what we've been saying about Georgia for quite some time now, that the odds are clearly on Georgia's side, but the odds themselves aren't a guarantee. Smart would say for the game against Georgia Tech, but we would say even beyond that, for the rest of the championship pursuit here for UGA, that while you've got the odds on your side, the odds of doing it all, the odds of running the table from here, the odds of going for two and 22 are still somewhat against you, even though you're by far and away the best team in college football right now as the CFP top 25 uh, once again revealed last night. In fact, let me show you this. So ESPN has its football power index. They call it the ESPN FBI. 
And this is one of their like analytical deals that's sort of based on efficiencies and mathematical stuff and all kinds of things that I'm not really smart enough to explain. But we assume that they're not really making this up out of nowhere, even if I can't get out my own abacus or, you know, <laughs> a calculator or whatever else and tabulate the data the same way that they do. We assume they're not just making it completely up, that it's coming from somewhere, that their percentages are based on something. And with that in mind, I want to show you a couple of percentages here as it relates to UGA, because Kirby would say, hey, probability doesn't equal reality. And this is an example of how true that might be, that if you go to ESPN.com right now and look at their, their, their football power index projections, you see that they're currently projected 82% chance to win the SEC, according to ESPN. They have a 98.7% chance Georgia does to make the college football playoff. They've got a 68.4% chance of making the national championship game. And all that sounds really good. But did you know, according to ESPN's FPI, even though George would be a point spread favorite over any team in the country and like a double digit favorite over everybody but two, did you know that George's chances of winning the national championship, according to the ESPN FPI, are still just 40.1%? Now, you may say, well, gosh, how could that even be true, given the fact that George is going to be such a big favorite in every game that it plays from here on out? The issue here is, while George is going to be individually favored to win any game that it plays, math is kind of funny when it comes to the chances of several events happening in a repeated sequence. That's where the math kind of gets a little tricky here. And so that the overall odds still somewhat favor, according to the ESPN FBI, Georgia eventually losing to somebody and doing so in a way that harms its chances of winning the national championship. So when Kirby tells you that probability doesn't always equal reality, he could be and likely is talking about a lot more than just Georgia Tech on Saturday, that the weight of a long grind of a season is ultimately the thing that Georgia's competing with and, and challenged by more than any individual opponent, no matter who Georgia might play the rest of the way. The odds makers are going to favor Georgia to win that game. But when it comes to being asked to win a regular season finale, win an SEC championship, win a national semifinal, win a national championship game, when you start adding the probability up of all those things occurring, that is still a big ask for this UGA team. So it is quite a ride that we're about to go on with a regular season finale against Georgia Tech on Saturday and then a big run through go for two and 22 season after that. Georgia with the best chance of anybody to win the national championship, but nothing is guaranteed. It's going to be a fascinating run here as Georgia tries to truly make it happen and take home its second consecutive national championship. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pass Management. We're happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start at 945 on our dognation.com and Dog Nation app. And of course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960. The ref. This is our last day on the radio this week there. No show there Thursday. And on Friday, we'll take a day off from the radio there as well. But we'll be back on Monday. And we'll have podcast on Friday. Just no radio on Friday. We're trying to make sure everybody kind of understands all of that. And, of course, the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, DogNation.com, all kinds of ways to connect with our program. We just really appreciate you doing that. And we appreciate our friends at Breda Pest Management for making it all possible. You know, Breda Pest Management is the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means... When you're going to one of these UGA athletic venues like Sanford Stadium this upcoming Saturday, you know that building is protected from termites and all those other bugs and critters that could be invading by our friends at Breda Pass Management. When you look down there on that football field on Saturday, you're going to see a surface big enough to hold a million termites. Now think about this for a moment. 
if there's room for that many termites on the football field, how many of those silent destroyers could also be getting into your house right now and doing damage to your wood, potentially thousands of dollars worth of damage? You know that. Georgia is a state in which termites are just a fact of life, that you've got to have the proper defense for it. You probably already know that. That's why you've got some termite company. But it could be one of these fly-by-night companies that's raising your rate each and every year and doesn't quite have the resources to be leveraged the way that Breda Pest Management is able to do. Because when you do business with the official pest control provider of uh, UGA Athletics, when you do business with a longtime friend of ours uh, here at Dog Nation Daily there as well, you're doing business with a company that's been in business since the 1970s, more than 100 employees, doing great work and using their resources to be leveraged for your benefit. That means saving you money. When you switch and save with Breda Pass Manager, you're going to put more money in your pocket right away. So kick that old company to the curb. Get with Breda Pass Manager right now. Find them online, BredaPass.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com. We're happy to have them bringing Dog Nation Daily to us here today. So I told you, today is our last live show of the week. We're obviously doing the slide one video right now and kind of distributing the normal f- format on podcasts and everything else. We'll have a show on Friday, but we did pre-record that. It's a really good show. It's Jeff on UGA Recruiting. We kind of get more into the nature of the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry and what fans can do to make this a big rivalry game on Saturday. We're going to talk more about that coming up then. So we have a really fun show coming up on Friday for you, but it is pre-recorded. So this is our last live show of the week, and we appreciate you being with us for all of that. And I also want to give you a little bit of an update here as it relates to our Go for 2 and 22 festivities coming up the week after that. Obviously, you know we're going to be at the Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven coming up on Wednesday for an unbelievable event starting at 6 p.m., a live time to interact with Dog Nation, to preview the SEC championship, but to also look at everything else that's going to be happening in this kind of go for two in 22 season as Georgia stands ready to potentially win another national championship and go through the gauntlet of a schedule that's going to be required to get there for that we'll preview all of that this upcoming wednesday at the marlows in brookhaven that's one week from today looking forward to being there 3575 durden drive that's 3575 durden drive marlows tavern in brookhaven coming up on wednesday really excited about that and then there is the go for two and 22 kickoff celebration tailgate prior to the sec championship that's three hours before kickoff game kicks off at 4 p.m of course that day going to be at the Home Depot backyard, which is as close to the stadium as you can ever tailgate anywhere. It's as close as you can ever get. This is prime time real estate. Anybody who's ever done one of these events with us knows how much fun this is. Open bar, all the food you want to eat, great entertainment. Of course, a special Dog Nation Go for Two and 22 t-shirt going to be included there as well. We can promise the first 200 people to get signed up get one of these go for two and 22 t-shirts we can do that for the first 200 people and we're getting very close to that uh so i would not wait i would not hesitate on this jump in there get yours so you can be included on this if you just simply go to the top of the page of dognation.com you can click in and get more information how you can be a part of the go for two and 22 kickoff tailgate coming to the home depot backyard right next to mercedes-benz stadium next saturday before the sec championship now we've got great pricing on this and we have a great event in place for this and we would not be able to do that at the price we're offering it if not for our great sponsors really eating a lot of the expense on this like rs andrews marlowe's tavern kroger discover dunwoody royal caribbean the seven six apparel company uh, georgia farm bureau insurance and the wilson pc personal injury attorneys great sponsors who have really worked hard to make this an unbelievable experience uh for the entirety of the month great coverage we were live on video last night uh reacting to the college ball playoff top 25 but the big event that particular 
Saturday made so much better by the unbelievable partnerships and relationships with these great sponsors who are making this such a fun event. So we can't wait for all of that. Speaking of Georgia Farm Bureau, we're going to talk to Mike Griffith in a couple of minutes for a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We're looking forward to that. But before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse here today. And obviously, Friday will be a little bit of a somber occasion, although in, in a lot of ways, like we've all kind of experienced in some you know form of our life here, uh, one of those moments where we'll have bittersweet feelings because obviously we're still saddened by the passing of the legendary former coach and athletic director Vince Dooley uh now a few days ago but on friday dog nation has a chance to come together there at stegman coliseum for a celebration of his life and obviously there was a private ceremony funeral for uh dooley's uh family and close friends not too long ago but this is the public opportunity to remember the life of the georgia legend and that's certainly as as clear as possible what a legendary figure coach dooley is in fact i think we may have some details on this i want to just show you this and, and let you be a part of this it's going to be Friday night, 7.30 there at Stegman Coliseum. The official athletics account put this out the other day. So Stegman Coliseum this Friday at 7.30. Um, it's free. It's open to the public. You can come right there to Stegman Coliseum and be a part of that. Really want to encourage you to be there if you can. Now, many of you aren't going to be near Athens on Friday, not able to do that. I know it's the day after Thanksgiving, which is a little bit tricky for you know some people, but really hoping to see a ceremony befitting of Coach Dooley's legacy there on Friday night for this. And one of the things that we're going to do today, we're going to do some of this on Friday too, is I just kind of wanted to pause for a moment and kind of celebrate this life and celebrate our own personal remembrances of uh, Coach Dooley here. And if you go back a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to get a chance to go interview him at his house. And for me, who kind of grew up a big Georgia fan, you have to understand what a huge thrill uh, this was for me to be able to do this because you know Coach Dooley had one of these great I don't know what you call it it's almost like a den but it was like it was almost designed to be almost like a museum of all the moments in Georgia football history that he'd been a part of and some of the really cool things in his own life he'd kind of done you know in addition to that and for someone like me who likes history and kind of likes some of these artifacts related to Georgia football this is an amazing thing to be able to see so this was unbelievably meaningful me meaningful to me to be able to do this and it was a great interview i thought as well because coach Dooley is so good at telling some of these stories about the life that we all saw him live right before our eyes and obviously he was the head coach of the national championship team in 1980 and that was a team that kind of fought its way through a lot right you know some close wins some dramatic moments and you know once again we talked a moment ago about the grind that georgia's undergoing right now in its own pursuit of a national championship well coach Dooley back in 1980 would have experienced all that himself and I asked him what it felt like to go through that, the pressure of trying to win a national championship, but the feeling of 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 kind of you know seeing that season play out. And I thought that Coach Dooley gave a great answer. So as we're celebrating his life heading towards the weekend, let's hear Coach Dooley from a couple of years ago reflecting on what it was like to be a part of that national championship team in 1980. You had a team that won under those tough conditions. And what it did for that team, it gave the team confidence that if they just hang tough, they'll find a way to win. And I really believe they developed over a period of time this psych that's hang tough. If something goes wrong, they wouldn't get too discouraged, wouldn't get too down, and they would feel like that we got a chance because we're going to take you into the fourth quarter. And if we can do that, we got a chance. And time after time, they were able to win games because they believed that they could win games. Mm -hmm. And that came from having the confidence of winning those kind of ball games. And you're right, there were a lot of them that went down to the wire. 
close ball games. We were a solid football team overall, but we were not totally dominating as an offensive team. Very few teams did we get out and just run away with. Uh, but on the other hand, there were some uh, lessons from that that I think were beneficial to the great run that we had. If you're watching on video as the audio is playing, you see a great collection of photos from the life of Coach Dooley, his legacy, or Georgian. It's kind of nice to go back and reminisce through all of those. And it is an interesting parallel because, you know, Georgia in its own right, if it wins the national championship again this year, will have had to kind of overcome some adversity to get there. This is a little bit different team than the 2021 team was. This is a team that's kind of fighting through some things this year. You know, not quite to the same degree that maybe the 1980 team did, but there are at least some similar parallels there. It's interesting to hear Coach Dooley talk about that. And then for fun here for a moment, I also asked Coach Dooley in this interview, I think we did this in 2019, I believe. I believe this was like summer of 2019 when we did this. Um, yes, I'm being told that it was. Uh, I asked him, hey, you know, in that great win against Florida in 1980, the Buck Ballou to Lindsey Scott, the play that kind of lives on forever, and we know the great call that Larry Munson had of that. At what point in time did – Coach Dooley become aware that Munson had had this call that would become the narration to accompany this moment forever. And really, you can't think about Baluda Scott, the moment that helped preserve the national championship season, without also thinking about Larry Munson's call of that. And so I got a chance to ask Vince Dooley back then about the great former broadcaster, Larry Munson, and fun to think about Coach Dooley and his own remembrance of Larry Munson from back then. Here that is, once again, from 2019. Well, it wasn't just that play. There was other plays. There was the uh, the drive against Kentucky and the field goal right at the end. And in uh, Mahalo, he got so excited with his team. Uh, I used to tell people, I'm glad I didn't have to listen to him. He would drive <laughs> me crazy. But he would, uh, uh, on the field goal, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he had uh, all these calls. We won the third championship uh, against Auburn, uh, and uh, he uh, started hollering, look at the sugar falling from the sky. So he had all these different ones, and uh, it's great to, uh, uh, to uh, listen to the highlights of Munson because the game is over. You know how it's going to come out, and uh, it's fun to, to, to always hear it, and I still enjoy doing it. I love to think about that. and. To hear Coach Dooley talking about Larry Monson, another you know beloved figure from Georgia's past, it's so poignant, so meaningful, and obviously a lot of these kinds of stories will be a big part of that public ceremony coming up on Friday. So I wanted to kind of pause here for a moment here and reflect on the life of Coach Dooley. We're going to do some of this again on Friday there as well, but uh, clearly an important moment on Friday night as he is uh, honored during that public ceremony. We certainly hope a lot of you get a chance to attend there. So it's Dog Nation Daily. We're presented by Breda Pass Management here today. We are going to kind of get pretty heavy into the college football playoff top 25 here before the show is done. We'll also have some picks for the upcoming weekend's worth of games here. But there was interesting movement below Georgia last night. And I guess some of it is controversial to some. For me, though, ultimately, it kind of only ends up being about probably two really worthy talking points from the CFP top 25 last night we'll kind of get more into that in a moment we'll do some of this with Mike here for right now so that's on the table the game Saturday's on the table Mike spent some time in Atlanta this week uh, looking at the Georgia Tech side of this and then obviously the big run to the playoffs beyond that so let's do all of it it is a Georgia Farm Bureau insider update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily right now 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Mike, a lot to do here as we roll into a uh, Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. But before we get into the game Saturday and the stuff kind of beyond that, we heard some audio a moment ago from Vince Dooley. This Friday night, I don't want this to kind of get lost in the shuffle of the Thanksgiving weekend and the conclusion of the season. You know, Coach Dooley's going to be honored at that public ceremony. This is the chance for the 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 average Georgia fan who maybe you know didn't know uh, Coach Dooley personally, but wants to celebrate his life. This is a chance for those folks to be there. I hope it's a great and befitting ceremony. I know that it will be. I know Kirby Smart said this week that he's going to be there. And so, in light of all this, we've just been playing some kind of old clips from Coach Dooley this week from an interview that I did a couple of years ago. So, before we get into the other stuff, Mike, what does Vince Dooley mean to you? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the University of Georgia is synonymous with Vince Dooley. I think when I think about the school's personality and, you know, just kind of the class, you know, even as an outsider, when I covered other schools and I'd come to the University of Georgia, there was just a certain image and personality that was associated with Vince Dooley. So, Brandon, um, I do think that the Vince Dooley ceremony on Friday night is going to be extremely well attended. I know there's going to be a lot of several players coming into town. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think that's going to be a, a really nice time, and certainly uh, just a very moving ceremony when you look at the uh, the impact that he made on so many different people's lives. And obviously, always kind of awkward to kind of transition back to the normal topic after that, but we'll try to do so. Last night, Georgia, no surprise, ranked number one again by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. But I, I guess, Mike, I'm curious if your sort of overall feelings about what's happening underneath Georgia, around Georgia, with this latest CFP Top 25 that came out yesterday. Well, I don't think there were any surprises. You know, obviously, Georgia's in control of their own destiny, but I think the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game is two. I think TCU controls their destiny, obviously, maybe three. I think USC controls their destiny, four, because Michigan-Ohio State will get shuffled out of the top uh, four. You know, to me, their question is Clemson, and if if Clemson has any mobility, you know, they're a one-loss team, and the committee loves these conference championship games. I think that's what we know having watched Georgia get locked out in 2018 when they were one of the four best teams uh, by an Oklahoma team that was down 28-0 to to Alabama in 16 minutes. Um, so I, I think some people are still like getting used to this and trying to understand how this all works, but we know in the end that those conference champions trump all truly. Uh, that's why an LSU upset would be a disaster for the college football playoff. And, and I've been asked about it, and I just – it's like I just don't even want to go there. It's like global warming. I don't even want to talk about it. Maybe it'll happen in 100 years. Oh, LSU is not going to beat Georgia, so I'm just going to ignore that scenario, Brandon. We're not going to talk about it. It's unrealistic. It doesn't matter. We don't need to play this. What if Georgia loses to LSU scenario? The only danger you have, and this is another Haley's common occurrence, is if somehow Georgia Tech were to get Georgia to stumble in some rainstorm and steps and bend at interceptions and fumbles. That is the only chance that Georgia doesn't make the playoff. And I think that is, again, that's a one-in-a-million thing. So I, I say make your reservation for Los Angeles right now. Save on your plane tickets because they're already approaching $1,000. We're talking about this uh, last night. I think there's a chance that, depending on how you think the Michigan-Ohio State game is going to play out, obviously kind of aid this, there's a chance that LSU is the best team that Georgia plays the rest of the year. That's fair. That, that is, that's, that's fair, you know, and, and because LSU's playing well right now, right? I mean, we're talking about the good version of LSU with Jaden Daniels running the ball effectively, their front seven. Um, they're just, a, they just don't match up with Georgia. LSU just can't match up. I mean, to your point, now I do think, Brandon, so I'm going to agree with you and I'm going to disagree with you in another sense. Agree LSU's the best team, but don't agree that they're the most difficult matchup. 
I think USC would be a nightmare matchup. I think Ohio State would be a nightmare matchup. And the reason why, perhaps TCU as well, is because they can score points. And if you can score points and Georgia is stumbling around in the red zone and kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns because they can't gain a darn yard on two plays with a chance to put a game away, Brandon, we can't ignore that. Georgia football cannot gain a yard. I want you to think about that when they need to against a six-win Kentucky team. So this is something that needs to be fixed, changed, adjusted, because if Georgia gets themselves in a game with a team that can score points and, and they're going to be asked to answer, that's the only thing that will stop Georgia from winning a national championship is if they continue to have these red zone struggles. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it wasn't great in the red zone against Kentucky. That's I don't I don't think that's you know disputable. That clearly could have been better. But I don't agree with your point about USC. I think if, if Georgia were to get beaten, it's going to get beat by a team that comes close to matching what Georgia does on both sides of the ball, the team that comes the closest to playing complementary football. Last year, that would have been Alabama. That was the only other team besides Georgia being the top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency metrics. This year, the closest version of that's probably an Ohio State team. This is a Buckeyes team that's way better defensive than they were a year ago. Is it a great defense? I don't know, but it's way better defensively than it was a year ago. And really, that's the only team in the country right now that sort of rises to that level for me. Frankly, as a Georgia fan, as a Georgia partisan, I am salivating for the chance to play USC because USC is the worst defense of any of the teams that might make the, uh, the the college football playoff. I think the USC is an outstanding matchup for Georgia. I think the TCU is an outstanding matchup for Georgia. But really, I think that that that, that USC is an even more favorable matchup for Georgia than TCU would be, just because of how bad the Trojans are defensively. Yeah, they got Caleb Williams at quarterback, uh, and that's a pre, you know certainly a pretty good offense. But this is a terrible defense. Good offense, terrible defense against Georgia. Mike, we know how that works out. Well, again, yes and no. I mean, you've got to be able to throw the ball. Uh, you know, look at Tennessee put 44 points on Kentucky and Georgia struggled to score 16 and kick three field goals. So the, the thing about the bad defenses, you know, if A.D. Mitchell gets back, then, then I'm signing off on that. Okay, then I think we might see the offense that we saw against Oregon. But if, if Georgia doesn't get the perimeter threat back to complement Ladd McConkey then I worry about getting into a scoring contest for Georgia. I don't think that favors Georgia's not, you know, um, you know, I think quarterback play is really big. And when you get into these sort of games and when Stetson Bennett plays well, I think Georgia's unbeatable, period. I don't care who you play. I don't care where you play. I don't care the conditions, wind, rain, snow, 100 degrees. When Stetson Bennett plays well, nobody's beating Georgia. But when we get the version of Stetson Bennett that we've seen at times over the last four weeks with five interceptions in four games, Georgia becomes beatable, particularly if they're not cashing in on the red zone. So that's my concern with offensive firepower teams, is that if they can put points on Georgia and put pressure on the Georgia offense, that's the only way you're going to beat them. I don't think you're going to outslug them. I think Kentucky comes the closest to your point about complementary football. Part of the reason why Kentucky played them well is Kentucky is built similar to Georgia. Their quarterback played well in that weather, and they still struggled because of how good the Georgia defense was. But they also drove 99 yards on that Georgia defense. We saw that with our own eyes. That was not a mirage. Um, and then, and conversely, uh, I, I just don't feel like you want to see. Like to me, I just don't think you want to see an explosive offense. That's especially when you're playing indoors, climate-controlled environments. And let's face it, Brandon. You know these people love offensive football. 
and sometimes flags start falling. And Georgia's not had that issue this year. They're the least penalized team in the SEC. But we have seen how things can change when you get into the postseason. We have seen teams get calls against Georgia, Alabama, in postseason action that left us shaking our heads. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, this is not a theoretical conversation. We've also seen how Georgia's performed against, you know, so-called, you know, high-powered offenses like Tennessee in the regular season this year. Uh, You know, Oregon scoring plenty of points against everybody else, didn't score uh, very many against Georgia. Uh, Alabama, the national championship last year, held to, what, 18 points. The Michigan team that Georgia shut down had also been scoring a bunch of points in Big Ten play there as well, that, you know, this idea that, oh, what if you get in this sort of, you know, slugfest, you know, in one of these, you know, college ball playoff games, for the most part, Georgia just doesn't play those games because defensively they're just too good to do it. Now, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that Georgia winning the national championship, but this is just sort of the same continual story for UGA of, you know, they are just more balanced than any of the team that's out there. And if you're a UGA fan, that's kind of what you're leaning on. If you're competent right now, that's what you're leaning on is across the board, nobody does it all across the board the way that Georgia does. Oh, I agree with that. And this has been Kirby Smart's best coaching effort. And I think he cemented himself as a first ballot Hall of Famer and joining the company of Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban. And, you know, things have never been better. Uh, but th- this was a reload year, though, to me. I, I, I'm, a, I'm still amazed you lost 15 guys to the NFL draft and 13 transfers. And, and Georgia looks like this veteran unit. And they, you're right. They simply don't beat themselves. But I, I just I think we've, we've, we've got to be aware. I mean, we, what, what happened at Missouri happened. They were down 10 points. And, and easily could have been down more than that if Missouri and, and that's a terrible Missouri team, Brandon. And Georgia was down ten points in the fourth quarter to a bad football team, and and I just can't pretend that didn't happen. And I, I just can't ignore that. So on the one hand, yes, I, I saw the Oregon game just like you. I think Dan Lanning was still trying to learn everybody's first name, but and I saw the Tennessee game, and I, I'm still having some hearing loss issues, and I don't know what would have happened on a neutral field. I think I think Georgia would have won. I, I do think Tennessee would have had more offensive success, not enough to win, or or even probably come close. If you know, especially if you know, if it doesn't rain, I think Georgia's still scoring. That was one of those good Stetson games, and when he plays good, as I said, they're unbeatable. Um, but you know, for the champ, for everything we say about the championship game, there was also the SEC championship, and we watched Georgia unable to keep up with the score that scored a lot of points in that particular game. This year's defense is not as talented as last year's, but I do think. That this year's team has shown more resiliency. I think it's got more intangibles. Uh, I, I I think Stetson is much better than he was a year ago. I have a lot more trust in Stetson Bennett than I did a year ago. He, he makes better throws. He makes better decisions for the most part. Still an occasional bad throw here and there. But his mobility has been incredible. He looks really good when he runs the ball. I would have liked to see him run more at Kentucky. So there's all sorts of good things to say about Georgia. And the, the only thing I'll say is I just think the field is a question mark because part of the reason why we think Georgia is the best team is because there's not a great team out there. There's no Joe Burrow out there. There's no Alabama team with six first-round draft picks out there. There's no Tua uh, uh, out there. There's, there's nobody out there that we look at and say, oh, my gosh, that team looks so incredible. I mean, Ohio State struggled against Maryland. Michigan's off. They're still Michigan at the end of the day. Last year's team was a joke. They were a bunch of pretenders. They're still a joke and a bunch of pretenders. They they wouldn't have a chance in hell against Georgia. Michigan would not have a chance. They won't even make if they lose. They won't make the playoff. Ohio State is explosive, and yes, they're better, but they don't have the receivers like they had last year. And for all we're talking about TCU, this, this team has been so up and down. Uh, I, I don't know what to expect week to week. Go back and look at their last game against Kansas State. It was like two completely different games. And you pointed out USC's issues on defense. 
And is, even though their offense you know, is a bit scary, and Caleb Williams looks incredible to me, understandable why Georgia would pursue him in the portal last year, those guys haven't played SEC football. I don't know what they would do when they get punched in the mouth by Georgia. So I think Georgia's going to win. I would say there's an 85 to 90% chance Georgia's going to win the title in my mind. But I'm just saying I, I think there's some teams out there with a puncher's chance. First things first, they've got to get through this Georgia Tech game without any injuries or problems as we saw a couple of years ago with Swift getting that shoulder injured and Pickens getting thrown out. They just need to navigate this game because I think Georgia Tech's got that stinger back. And listening to Brent Key yesterday, Brandon, you know, it was a little chilling. And I, cause I thought to myself, you know, does Georgia, if this team turns it around, if Tech turns it around, if this is really the right guy, the offensive version of Kirby comes from Saban staff, um, Birmingham guy played, played the game, listening to him talk yesterday, if Georgia Tech gets good, do we really want to see this rivalry get quote-unquote good again, where Tech is, is capable of beating Georgia and recruiting against Georgia? I just I shake my head and say, why, why does Georgia want to let this team stick around on their schedule when if they do get good, they would ultimately you know maybe be able to recruit and take some guys away from you? Well, in fair, I want to talk to you more about the Tech game in a moment, but in fairness, we're a long way away from talking about Tech being good at all or certainly being a, uh, a competitor <laughs> for any kind of recruit i'll talk to you more about the uh, the jackets game in a moment let me remind folks though this is our georgia farm bureau insider update happy to have mike griffith on the uh, program here today and happy to have georgia farm bureau with us all season long there as well you know they're always the home team what that means is when it comes to your insurance needs auto insurance life insurance it's kind of nice to do business on something like that with somebody who's kind of living and working and a part of life in a community just like yours across the state of georgia because let's face it you know, insurance is kind of an emotional topic, right? Uh, my mom was involved with Fender Benner yesterday. Uh, she's fine, thankfully, but it's one of those things where all of a sudden you start thinking about insurance then in a way that maybe you hadn't thought about it, uh, you know, in, in, in the weeks prior you know, to all that, or maybe the months prior to all, all that. It's, it's one of those things you don't really think about it until you need it. But when you need it, you want to make sure you got a friendly person on the other side of that phone call, uh, whether it be the claims adjuster or, or the agent, or whatever else, that can really kind of just make that process for you go smooth in the moment when when you do need something because something that you couldn't have predicted has happened to you. That is what our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are all about in communities just like yours across Georgia. So for your life, for your home insurance, for your auto insurance, for things like that, our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are there for you. So why don't you check them out online, gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. You need the home insurance. You need the auto insurance. You need to un- have somebody understand this is more than just an insurance product for you. This is the kind of thing that gives you the peace of mind that you need to live your life happily. That is what is our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are all about. Find them online at gfbinsurance.com for more on that. Uh, gfbinsurance.com. All right, Mike, so let's talk about the Georgia Tech game here for a moment. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, hey, the kind of imbalance of motivation here. Georgia's obviously got more to play for after this. Uh, Georgia Tech, you know, seemingly would kind of view this, you might imagine, as their Super Bowl for a number of reasons. And yet the huge advantage still lies with UGA because Georgia's just a way better team. This is the best Tech team that Georgia's played in a good number of years but still not the kind of team that i would expect uh, expect to be competitive with uh, georgia necessarily here i know you have spent some time in atlanta here this week i guess give me a little bit of a snapshot it's like third string quarterback and yet i guess he played okay against north carolina tariels were up like 17 nothing last week and then somehow stumbled their way to a defeat there uh there are a lot of georgia fans and this is not me being funny or mocking or anything like that there are a lot of georgia fans who just haven't had much reason to pay attention to tech at all but they have won a lot more games since brent key has been interim coach uh what should they know about the yellow jackets 
Well, I mean, they they have. They've won four of their last seven under Brent Key. They've beaten two top 25 teams. They won at Pitt. They won on the road at North Carolina. Obviously, you know, neither one of those programs, you know, have the kind of talent that Georgia does. And, and, and this does come down to Georgia's level of focus. I mean, I think one of the things Kirby Smart's done with this program is, is these guys do give it their all every week. They, they win the games they're supposed to win. Georgia does not beat themselves typically. This is this is the ultimate trap game, though. With the SEC championship game on deck, uh, individual awards coming out, NFL draft games coming out, um, you know, it's, it's senior days, potential emotions. We're talking about, you know, potential weather with rain, uh, kids that went home on Thanksgiving coming back, you know, distractions, whereas Georgia Tech is playing to go to a bowl game. And, and Brent Key is coaching, said it's the biggest challenge of his life. He's challenging, he's coaching for his head coaching job. And for whatever reason, the tech has not removed the interim tag yet. I, I just crazy to me. Uh, hire this guy. We're, we're seeing bad coaches get extensions all over the place. If tech doesn't hire this guy, somebody else will. I mean, this this guy's the real deal. I stood in front of him yesterday, and although you can see the video on YouTube, and, and the only criticism you're going to have is he doesn't talk loud enough when he does interviews. But every he checks every other box, Brandon. He checks every other box. I'm telling you, this is not good for Georgia. This is not good for Georgia. And, and, and we, we are two or three or four years off probably, but the transfer portal can be effective. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm sounding the alarm. I'm saying move this game. Don't play this game at the end of the year. If you're going to keep playing it, move it at the start of the year. This is the dumbest thing ever to play a rival the week before a conference championship game. And, and throw your tradition out the window because this SEC championship game didn't exist when, when this current schedule model was adapted. And, and, thing, and changes need to be made, and this is one of them. You either need to get rid of this game uh, as, as an annual home-and-home and, home and, and just play them exclusively in Athens or rotate the other state schools or move it to the beginning of the year, but do not play this team the week before the SEC championship game. It, it, it's, 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 it's dumb. Play South Carolina. Get with South Carolina's AD. And why shouldn't they play Tech at the end of the year? Because it's a rivalry game. Because normally, let's, let's put, put, play a conference team. What's ch- what's changed and the way the direction that the league is going, and I talked to McGarity about this a few weeks ago, because I was asking him about the Tennessee game when it was one versus one, and we're going, oh, my gosh, this is great. And he said, well, I said, how did this happen? You know, Because forever, Kirby wanted to get that Auburn game out of November, right? But they needed to find a third dance partner. Auburn also wanted to move it because they didn't want to play Georgia and Alabama at the end of every year. Well, here comes Philip Fulmer in Tennessee. And he wants to split up the Georgia-Florida game. So he says, all right, we'll go ahead and we'll play Georgia in November. And look what happened. It ended up being an SEC showdown. It was great. It was awesome that you played Auburn in, in, in October in Tennessee in November. Couldn't have worked out better. Part of this, McGarity said, was that the league wants to put the, to backload the schedule with more of the divisional games. Now, we're getting ready to lose the division, so maybe sure. we throw that out the window. But I still think South Carolina is your dance partner because they don't need to be playing Clemson at the end of the year. That needs to be at the beginning of the year. But you don't play the rival because your rival, this is their Super Bowl every stinking year. And they don't. there is no tomorrow. If a guy gets ejected, he does not care typically. We saw that with Dickens. You realized in 2019 you lost your best receiver and your best running back playing this meaningless game. Dickens gets in the stupid fight. He's ejected the first half. That game's over before it starts. Swift can't run the rest of the year. He's got a shoulder. looks like it's flaring up in the NFL, by the way. Out of this stupid game. Because the other team is going to play you like kamikazes. Tech is coming at you and throwing everything in the kitchen sink. I would much rather see a disinterested conference opponent that's out of the race in the last week of the season. I think this is a problem for Alabama. 
I think I think it's, it it bites them that they got to play Alabama. Auburn. The flip side is that they get all the recruits, see, because it's a great football game. You don't even get that with Georgia Tech. Nobody wants to come to this game. This is the game everybody gives the tickets away to, Brandon. Sure. Why would recruits want to come? Well, yeah, it's not typically a great atmosphere. I was just making sure that you weren't saying stop playing Tech at the end of the season because Brent Key is somehow building some sort of behemoth at Tech. I just thought for a minute you might be saying, <laughs> I just want to make sure we weren't going out that you know going out that way because I think that might lead to some confusion with some people. <laughs> Fair enough. I do think he's going to make them good and respectable. And I do think this. I do think he's going to get the job, and I think he'll be around a minute. All right. Well, Mike, you're going to be around a minute too. So hope you have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you in Athens on Saturday. And uh, thanks for being here as part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. Thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure where we were going with that for a minute. Uh, that was a lot more praise for Brent Key than I sort of expected to get, but. Uh, I guess, uh, nonetheless, there is a league rule, by the way, that you do have to play uh, the week before the SEC championship. You got to play somebody. And given the choice of a team that you could play that you're a 35 and a half point favorite or a team in most years like South Carolina that Mike mentions, who in most years is just going to be better. I mean, over the course of 20 years, you know, South Carolina is going to have more years of being competitive than Georgia Tech is based on the current landscapes of the program. And so if you're going to play Tech, tucking them right there at the end of the season as about as easy as a tune-up you can get before the SEC championship, that works out, I would say, pretty well for the most part. You know, listen, I'm a little bit ambivalent about the current state of clean old-fashioned hate as a rivalry. I don't have huge, strong feelings about one way or another. But make no mistake about it, playing Tech at the end of the season is an advantage for Georgia, not a disadvantage, because there is a rule you have to play somebody and no one's playing no one in the sec is playing an easier opponent on saturday than george is keep that in mind uh just something to consider there uh we'll also look at the rest of the top 25 here coming up in a moment there are a couple of semi-controversial things in the rankings that i want to talk to you about uh, before that though let me remind you that we're cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and obviously we're thinking about royal caribbean cruise vacations looking forward to i got a short one here coming up pretty soon got a family vacation coming up in february all of us together for the dog nation cruise coming up in april in fact let me talk to you about that one right now for a moment nasa on the bahamas perfect day coco k you know last night for whatever reason like during the the football season you know i'm not home very much on the weekends unfortunately so like there's always kind of the moment during the week when my family kind of goes out to dinner we typically do this on wednesday night but tonight we're not doing that because you know tomorrow's thanksgiving you just kind of got some stuff going on so last night family goes out to dinner and we kind of go out and get a little dessert when it's all said and done and uh my kids know that we're all going on a cruise in february so we'll sit around kind of watch some like youtube videos of uh some of the stuff we're going to be doing on the cruise my kids love doing that so we're watching like videos of perfect day coco k last night or some of the cool stuff in nassau that we're going to get a chance to do when we go there and it was just getting me thinking about how much fun it's going to be to share this with all of you coming up in April. And I really want you to be a part of it. Now, I'm hopeful this is going to be a big go for two and 22 celebration. I'm hopeful it's another national championship celebration, just like last year's cruise kind of turned into. I'm hopeful that's what it is. But no matter what, it's going to be a great time. So you can go to the website, royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. Find out more about this. Or you can give Jessica Slater, a great travel agent, a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And she can tell you all about the great stuff. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas. Now, that in itself is a party because you've got the great specialty restaurants like Playmaker Sports Bar and Grill, Chops uh, Grill, the great you know uh, high-end steakhouse. 
you've got all kinds of bars and lounges and entertainment things to do really for the entire family but in addition to that you've got some great special events specifically for dog nation there as well so jessica can tell you all about that you can call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 she can also tell you more about icon of the seas too brand new ship debuting for royal caribbean in january of 2024 uh, that is going to be a great thing, too, and you can hear more about that then. So let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Very little controversy at the top last night with Georgia being ranked at number one. The top four also kind of remains unchanged, too. I thought there might be a little bit of an opportunity to move up TCU if you wanted to. Now, Michigan-Ohio State play on Saturdays, so maybe the sanctity of that game can't be harmed. But if you look at what TCU's been doing, you can say that you don't think the TCU is a national championship level team, but you can't really squabble with their resume too much. They're, you know, B- Baylor, the team they beat on Saturday, that's kind of a quality opponent. They won once again. And given the fact that both Michigan and Ohio State struggled, if you ever wanted to consider moving up TCU, last night was a chance to do that. The committee didn't want to do that. Maybe not a surprise, but I, it's one of the thoughts that I had. Look at LSU right there at number five here on this list. This was controversial to some people because it's a two-loss team right now, and it kind of, in the minds of some, sort of reeks as SEC bias. But here's the thing you got to understand. USC ranked just below LSU right now. Right now, there is only one data point that argues for USC whatsoever. They did beat UCLA on the road this past week. That's a quality win. That's a resume-enhancing win for USC. But beyond that, they've got nothing. Only the ranked team they've beaten is Oregon State. And frankly, they struggled that day to beat uh, the Beavers of Oregon State. So if USC keeps winning, you're talking about a win against Notre Dame this upcoming Saturday and a Pac-12 championship game against a quality opponent. At that point in time, the USC resume would be far different than it is right now. And I think at that point in time, if USC were to keep winning, I don't think you have much to worry about in terms of them moving up. But the real issue is, can the Trojans actually win these next two day, next two games? That's the real issue. But if they do, their resume is fine. But right now, they don't have the kind of resume to be ranked ahead of, uh, of LSU. Now, people say, well, LSU's already lost twice. Yeah, but if you're going to punish them for the two losses, then you're essentially incentivizing playing a weak schedule. That's what you're doing if, if you're doing that. Because uh, LSU lost week one to Florida State. I thought LSU played terrible in that game. But let's say they didn't play Florida State. Let's say they played McNeese State. Well, now they've got one loss. And is that a better LSU team if they only have one loss? Of course it's not. Of, of course it's not. You want to incentivize playing tough games. So therefore, in this situation, you know, you're going to be more interested in who LSU has beaten. You know, teams like Ole Miss, certainly teams like Alabama. You're going to be more interested in who LSU has beaten than opposed to kind of who it's lost to here for now. Now, when it's all said and done, the committee eventually, by the time – it's all said and done they basically just count losses that's how they determine who makes the college ball playoff the final rankings kind of go more into what your record is zeros and ones they like to see that in the loss column but for now the lsu resume is better than usc resume but if usc continues to win the usc resume will be improved and so this is a little bit of a moot hypothetical conversation right now because USC doesn't look now the way it will look if it kind of goes through the rest of the season unbeaten. Can I see this here again for a moment, too? Because the other thing that was somewhat controversial is is people say, well, what about Alabama at number seven? Is Alabama still alive for the college football playoff? And I think it's hard to say never on anything. But if you did watch the ESPN show last night, they did throw a good bit of water on the notion of Alabama still being alive for the playoff as a two-loss team. And the, the point they made is the only remaining data point 
Alabama is going to have is a game this Saturday against an Auburn team with an interim coach. It's what, like five and six coming into the game. That's not much of a resume booster opportunity for Alabama. And you say, well, how can they be ranked ahead of Clemson right now at number eight? It is certainly fair to point out that this committee currently believes that Clemson's by far and away or the ACC, I should say, is by far and away the worst of Power Five leagues. There is very little respect for the ACC by this committee, maybe justifiably so, and Clemson's suffering from that here a bit. But if you want to get an idea of the fact that Clemson is still more alive than you might think for the college football playoff, go back and look at the bottom of these rankings last night. There were two teams that were ranked that are four-loss teams. One of those is Texas. One of those is Louisville. Louisville got the nod in the top 25 after having beaten NC State this past week. It's a four-loss team. The only ranked team they've beaten, I think, is UCF. So on the basis of beating UCF, that gets Louisville as a four-loss team into the college football playoff top 25 here for right now. But what is true of Louisville, they also lost to Clemson. So that becomes one of these value top 25 wins for Clemson. I told you this last week, and I think we were kind of proven right, and I'm going to echo this one more time. This committee is still reserving the right to take Clemson into the playoff. And if crazy stuff happens, then I think it's Clemson maybe more so than some other teams that could be the beneficiary of that. In other words, if USC wins out, Clemson's got no chance to take that spot. If TCU wins out, Clemson's got no chance. But what if chaos starts to kind of bubble into this a bit? What if chaos kind of starts to factor into this conversation? At that point in time, as long as Clemson wins, they are just sort of right there at that level of what can still make the college football playoff. And if they do keep winning, at that point, I actually don't believe that this committee will have much of an issue moving them ahead of Alabama because, once again, like I said about USC a moment ago, there will be additional data points in place. Now, everything gets crazy if LSU somehow wins the SEC. It really does. And I know the ESPN FBI says, hey, there's still a 99% chance that Georgia makes the playoff. But when I mean, we've had people reaching out because like what some people do is is they'll go to like these predictor model things and they'll start typing in. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? It's, it's almost like one of those NBA trade machines of can you make this trade work with the salary cap? You can put in data points for the playoff and it'll sort of spit out results. And not all those results always like Georgia. But I also believe that a lot of those playoff predictor models are just sort of made up out of whole cloth anyway. But the point is. It would be really, really good for Georgia to beat LSU in the SEC championship. Really, really good. Maybe they still have a 99% chance of making the playoff no matter what. But as someone like me who's a little more risk-averse in life, it'd be very, very good for Georgia to beat LSU and be 13-0, play the uh, semifinal game in Atlanta, and be on the mission to go for 2-22 and beyond that. Um, I will point out, though, that if if you're thinking about worst-case scenario here, what if Georgia did suffer a loss at some point in time? Teams that Georgia has beaten badly, Oregon and Tennessee, are both still in the top 10. Uh, Oregon coming in at number nine, Vols coming in at number 10. So as it stands right now, Georgia, for its resume, has two top 10 wins in basically what you're going to call blowout fashion here. Now, right now, Georgia doesn't need a resume, but if you ever did need one, the presence of Oregon, the presence of Tennessee, kind of a part of that. Now, I have heard some Vols fans saying, well, how come Tennessee is ranked behind Alabama when uh, Tennessee beat Alabama? Here's my response to that. If you give up 63 points to South Carolina, you don't have a right to argue for anything. You should be just glad they ranked you at all. And I'm sorry, but that's the way that it goes. And by the way, Kirk Herbstreit's actually predicted Vanderbilt to, to beat Tennessee this weekend. We'll see about that. But I did hear some chirping from Tennessee fans on being ranked after Alabama. But I don't think you get to argue for anything when you just got 
hammered the way you did against South Carolina last week. A couple other things here real quick, and we'll have more in the Vols in a moment. But first, so we told you the other day that when Chris Lowe from ESPN is reporting sources close to Lane Kiffin are saying that Kiffin's interest in Auburn's related to their NIL fund, that we said those aren't sources, that's Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin speaking directly to Chris Lowe. Chris Lowe and Lane Kiffin are close, very close, very, very, very close, it would seem. And once again, lo and behold, Chris Lowe's got another story up at ESPN.com. Once again, sources close to Lane Kiffin, who apparently has told Ole Miss players that he has not yet accepted the Auburn job. But that's the operative word there being, and it hasn't happened yet. I'd bet about as much money as I could on the idea that that Kiffin is eventually the Auburn coach. And I think a lot of this is related to the fact that Auburn's moving slower than Kiffin wants them to. And, you know, Kiffin wants this over and done with. Uh, Auburn wants to focus on its Iron Bowl game. They don't want to obscure the Iron Bowl game just because, you know, there is still something to be said for on-field competition. And I, I just think that Auburn's moved a little slower on this than Kiffin wants. But eventually, Kiffin is going to be the Auburn coach, which makes for a crazy scenario for the Egg Bowl on Thursday and, frankly, in a roundabout way, kind of a crazy scenario for the Iron Bowl on Saturday. Here's what we know is that right now, Mike Leach at Mississippi State's kind of hanging on by a string. I don't think he can be fired this year. I really don't. But it's the struggles in rivalry games like Ole Miss that ultimately cause him a problem. Well, guess what? Even with that in place, it would not surprise me at all. I know Ole Miss played awful last week against Arkansas, and you sort of have this, you know, kind of senioritis version of a coach right now that seems to be losing a lot of games. Hugh Freeze at Liberty, Lane Kiffin last week. You seem to be seeing a, a good bit of that right now. But honestly, I believe that Ole Miss would still be my pick to win the Egg Bowl, which could create a very tough scenario for Mike Leach at Mississippi State if the guy that never wins rivalry games still can't win this game, even with Elaine Kiffin one foot out the door and basically 75% of his brain out the door on its way to Auburn. And then what do you do about when you announce Lane Kiffin as the Auburn coach? Because I, truly, I do truly believe that's where all this is going. And by the way, what does Cadillac Williams feel about all of this? Who's I mean, He's done pretty well i mean he's done better than was two and one on the field three and oh against the spread um this is not an alabama team that's exactly a world beater right now i mean how crazy is it going to be cadillac knowing that he's literally playing with house money he's not getting the auburn job uh he's you know final game as head coach i mean are they just going to throw caution to the wind and go after it all just to try to you know mess up this situation even more This is what we love about the SEC. The drama sort of never ends. And we're going to have a lot of coaching drama this weekend playing out Egg Bowl and Iron Bowl. Should be pretty interesting to see. I talked about Tennessee a moment ago. Uh, So it's kind of been kind of funny. So Dabo Swinney the other day, like, just went in on – obviously they're getting ready to play South Carolina. And if you're Clemson, you have to reconsider South Carolina now based on the way they played against Clemson. But Dabo, who you know, just does not like the SEC. Uh, and he just goes in. He's basically just sort of trashing Tennessee for their inability to stop uh, <laughs> their inability to stop South Carolina at all. And then he eventually says something to the effect of, uh, you know, you're sitting there flipping burgers on championship Sunday or yeah, you know, Saturday, not playing the SEC championship. In other words, trying to decide as an at-large team, are you going to are you going to Atlanta? Are you going to, to Arizona? Basically saying they were counting themselves as a playoff team here and forgetting you still got to go out and win some games in the regular season. 
And it seems like that was sort of the case. You had a Tennessee player basically admitting they may have looked past South Carolina, which is a horrible thing to have said right now. You had Steve Spurrier who came out and kind of dropped his zinger of, after it's all said and done, Tennessee may be right back in the Citrus Bowl where he used to joke and say that's where they would typically go. It's not called the Citrus Bowl anymore, but that may be you know kind of where they are here. It's uh, I don't think it's called the Citrus Bowl anymore. But the point is, is they may be right back there uh, once again. So the mockery of Tennessee continues after their embarrassing loss to South Carolina on Saturday. Then I'll also mention this, former five-star running back in a battle that George was a part of in a big way a couple of years ago, Trace Anders has now entered his name in the transfer portal at Alabama. He has been hurt a lot. This is not one of those things like, I mean, he's just been hurt and he's had a hard time finding the field. And honestly, I think this is what the transfer portal is supposed to be for. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just bad luck because of injury or something else, but it has just not worked for Sanders at uh, Alabama. And so now he's going to transfer. He said, well, what about Georgia? Because that's the guy that Georgia once recruited. Honestly, I think that's water under the bridge by now. I think that Trey Sanders is probably looking at a little bit different kind of program right now, if I had to guess, a uh, different level of program possibly. But a former elite recruit coming out of high school and a major league recruiting battle when Alabama won it. And it just never quite worked out in the field there for Trey Sanders. So Sanders into the transfer portal. And y'all don't forget this. Like right there after that SEC championship next week, transfer portal is wide open. And it is going to be crazier than anything's ever been. You've got Mark Stoops talking about players already on his roster being pursued. Eli Drinkwitz has talked about that there as well. This is going to be open, wild, chaotic, free agency type stuff. And I don't know if it's good or not, but it's going to be dramatic. And that's coming. And I guess the Trey Sanders story here, one of the first big dominoes to fall on that. We'll make that cruising around the SEC here, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Also, even though it's the weekend, don't forget, we're still getting ready to make our picks for the weekend on Go With The Flow on Friday, the Dog Nation video channels. The point spreads we use for that come from our friends at MyBookie. And by the way, you get a chance to get your own action down on picks here this week. Go to MyBookie, find them online. Just use the uh, you know browser, type in MyBookie. Then when you get to MyBookie, use the promo code DOGNATION. Take advantage of a big deposit bonus. You put in $400, they'll put in $400. They're essentially going to double your initial deposit up to $1,000. So busy football weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all throughout the weekend. Make it fun for you by having some action down in the games. Use our friends MyBookie to do that. Use the promo code DOGNATION for the big deposit bonus, and you can get in on all of that. Our friends at MyBookie today, but you got to use the promo code DOGNATION to get the big bonus. Now, let me preview the games we're going to be picking as a part of Go With The Flow on Friday. All of these rivalry games with playoff implications. Tech at Georgia, the number is 35 and a half right now. Let me see if I can kind of succinctly give you my opinion on this. 35 and a half is a gigantic point spread. It's a gigantic point spread. If Brent Key really feels like he can get the tech job, then maybe you play this conservative because the only way to mess this up is to lose 70 to nothing. And, that, and by the way, that's what tech did a couple of years ago to, uh, to, to, to Clemson. They've lost 70 to nothing before. So maybe you think, hey, if I'm this close to getting the job, I can't beat Georgia, but could I slow this game enough to give myself a chance to not get embarrassed by Georgia, at least not you know, much more so than people kind of expect there on that? If that's the way that Key approaches this, that could bring the point spread back into play here a bit. Uh, could be worth watching, especially for a Georgia team that just wants to get in, get out, move on to next week. Uh, I think that Georgia's thrilled to play at noon. I think they want it over with. I think they want to move past all of this. But moving past it doesn't mean looking past it. I don't believe that Georgia does that. It could be Tech here that's actually looking for kind of a 
kind of an easy path to uh, the the final result, especially if Brent Key thinks that he can preserve his chance of getting the tech job by not getting completely embarrassed against Georgia. They may play it very, very conservatively. Watch this early in the game. If there's a decision to go forward on fourth down, if there's a decision to pass compared to run, if there's a decision to you know keep your offense in the field or try a field goal, watch how aggressive Brent Key chooses to be early. That could be an indication of of just how much this point spread is going to be in play because the more Tech pushes the issue, I believe the greater the final margin of victory for Georgia actually ends up being. Another rivalry game with Clemson hosting South Carolina. I am fascinated to see what South Carolina brings to the table after what they looked like last week against Tennessee. My assumption here staring at a 15-point spread at Clemson is this is a little too much to go on the road to a hated rival like this after having the game of your life at home the previous week. I don't like the Gamecocks in this spot, but I also did not like them against Tennessee, and I was proven miserably wrong on that. So do with that what you will. Uh, Alabama's a very big favorite against Auburn. The number is 22, and this is one of those things where we sort of know Cadillac Williams is not going to get the Auburn job, so therefore maybe he kind of, as I said before, as an interim coach, maybe he does go out there and play loose. Maybe he's got nothing to lose. Maybe he does take chances and go for it on fourth down and push the issue here and try to see if his team can make the play that actually gives him a chance to winning. Losing close doesn't do Cadillac Williams any good right now. This is win or bust for him. Well, the more you go for the win, the more you bring bust into uh, play here. Bama's back at home again. That's the place they played better they've been awful on the road uh there hasn't been much to recommend about alabama as of late but i do kind of like them in this spot here minus the 2022 should say the 22 points the reason i just mentioned um i think point spread could be a factor for ohio state and michigan i believe that ohio state wins the game at home but this could be one of those things that half point number seven and a half right now at my bookie that half point could loom large here I like Ohio State's chances of winning outright. I don't know that I love their chance of covering. We'll do more of this for our show on Friday, Go With the Flow. But I think that point spread could be a factor in a game that the Buckeyes win, but maybe less convincing than the experts think. Then you're looking at USC and Notre Dame with the Trojans at home favored by five and a half. My same argument here that I made last week. You can say whatever you want to about Lincoln Riley when he gets the playoff. But look at long winning streak to conclude the 2017 regular season. Same thing in 2018 and again in 2019. Riley has shown an ability to get to the playoffs. This is still a Notre Dame team that's lost three times this year, including embarrassing fashion to teams like Stanford and Marshall. This is the kind of game where USC ought to be able to handle its business. Um, It's not a USC team that's proven very much, but they could be coming together kind of at the right time here as the uh, Pac-12's lone playoff hope early lean for me is usc minus the five and a half there right now and we'll make that your my bookie best bets for the week and by the way it's getting ready to enjoy a great weekend too and a great thanksgiving day tomorrow obviously our friends at the finish long drink a big part of all that we do our big finish presented by the finish long drink every friday but if you just want to enjoy a great beverage for your tailgating needs or your thanksgiving party needs or whatever you're doing here for the, the upcoming holiday season you got Christmas parties here coming up. Try the Finnish Long Drink if you haven't. You can go to thelongdrink.com and you can find out where to pick some up. You can try the traditional. That's a blue can. It's got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, the Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar, Long Drink Strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. There's also the Long Drink Cranberry that a lot of the folks in my neighborhood really, really love. So you can try that. Thelongdrink.com is the website to go to. Just put in your zip code and you can find out where it is. It came from Helsinki in the 1950s. It's actually kind of a cool story. It's been in America now for a couple of years, in Georgia now too, and pretty much everywhere else there as well. So go to thelongdrink.com to find out where you can pick some up today.
All right, so let me do this before you fire off our uh, fight song here. Uh, we'll actually take this as a, a chance to say this. Hey, as we kind of close out our final day here before Thanksgiving, I just want to say a very, very, very uh, special message to all of you here in that I am so grateful for your continued support of our program. And I know that's one of those things that it sort of sounds like we should say, uh, but truly, deeply, I mean it as much as I possibly can. I'm always, always, always so happy to travel around. We were in Lexington this past week. And we're all shivering and cold. But people would come up and say, hey, we listen to the show. And they would tell me where they're from and kind of what they're doing. And you have no idea how much that means to me. That is one of the most satisfying things I can ever hear. I'm truly grateful for that. And I'm also, you know, want to make sure that you're aware that, you know, you see my face every day. You hear the voice of guys like Mike Griffith or Connor Riley or Jeff Sintel. You should know that behind the scenes here at Dog Nation, a lot of folks that you don't see as much are working really hard to make sure that we're able to deliver the content we do to you every day. You hear me talk about Michael Carvel. That's our producer in the building with us each and every day. I am so grateful for what he does, showing up, being a part of this every day. I could not do the show without the work that he's doing there on the other side on that. I got like BJ Sweeney, who you've heard us talk about before, too. That's kind of our operations guy here. This is the guy that sort of he's the how behind the wow, if you will, you know, making sure we have big events. They all go the way they're supposed to. That The website functions the way that it's supposed to. I have no idea how any of that kind of stuff works. Uh, kind of keep me on track to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to there as well. Uh, it's a great team here at Dog Nation. We've got a great, uh, you know, corporate family that we're part of here, too. Uh, my life could not be better, frankly, because of the uh, work experience I get a chance to enjoy. So you help us keep the lights on around here, and we're so thankful for that. And I've got a whole bunch of people behind me, Michael, BJ, people you never see, that really make sure it all functions and, and operates really well. So I am truly, deeply grateful here on this Thanksgiving week, and I hope that all of you find similar reasons to be just as thankful as I am. And with that, now we'll wrap up the show. I'm also thankful for great golden shoe submissions. Now, I have to humbly ask your forgiveness for this because I had a million great golden shoes going back off the weekend, and we just kind of didn't get them all in. We've got some coming up on Friday. We're going to have a couple here today, but just the sheer weight of trying to do all this this week just did not quite work out for us on that. But we're going to get a couple of these on display here right now, and uh, including this first one. Let's give a golden shoe shout-out to uh, Steve here. Uh, who's Irk Dog on Twitter, which is a great name. He says, look what I found yesterday in Kentucky. I bought a bottle of the PB&J. So this is Blind Squirrel Whiskey. And I don't know who uh, makes this, so this is, I guess, a free plug for them. But uh, obviously, our good friend, Eddie the Blind Squirrel, the official Dog Nation Daily mascot. Uh, I didn't know he had his own distillery, but apparently he does. A little Blind Squirrel Whiskey. Steve, thanks for sharing that well-deserved golden shoe for you. I really appreciate that. That's, uh, that's great to be able to see. Another golden shoe going out to Joshua Campbell. We saw a lot of versions of this over the weekend. <laughs> The Georgia person watching the South Carolina and Tennessee fight. Gamecocks getting the best of that. There was also a version of this that was uh, Vanderbilt beating up on Florida. So there's a lot of fun. A lot of folks were having. But Joshua gives you go for two and 22. Hashtag golden shoe. Joshua, great stuff. Thanks for sharing that. We'll make you our golden shoe winner for today there as well. And that's the last one, correct? Uh, so those are our golden shoes. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. We'll be pre-recorded on Friday, but we'll see you then. And then busy through the weekend. Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management. We will talk to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take some of your comments here at dognation.com. And I was actually looking at the Dog Nation story that had the quote from Kirby Smart that we also played off the top of our show today. 
and it kind of goes to the motivation for the game against Tech on Saturday. Here's what some Georgia fans are saying about that. JD ATL3 says, anybody can beat you on a given day. Most teams are four, five, six on a 10-point scale. The rest is BS created by ESPN to sell subscriptions. Georgia Tech jumped up to a, a five and beat a good team. They can beat the dogs who looked like a four last week. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the gap is quite as close as it's suggested to be right there, but it is certainly true that anything can happen on a on a day-in, day-out basis. You know, I think that sometimes we have a tendency to make too much of the motivation level for a game like this, where, like, you can have all the motivation in the world, but it still doesn't quite close down the gap on a significant talent advantage, which Georgia still enjoys for a game like this. Vet Dog checks in to say, I, th- I see this game getting late early for the Jackets. Our guy's going to be pumped to be back home for the first time since Tennessee in the last home game of 2022. He says Darnell gets 100 receiving yards. Bennett gets 200 yards in the first half. Beck gets over 100 yards in the game as well. And he calls for the Georgia 52-7 win, which I guess would match the game in Athens 20 years ago from 2002. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to talk about this on Friday's show. We have a pre-recorded show coming up for Friday, and we talk about the role that fans can play in this game. Hey, if you want the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry to be a big deal, then make it a big deal by the atmosphere that you create for the game. I believe the Georgia fans will do that, and it's a chance to do that there on Saturday. So a good comment by Vet Dog. UGA Dad 20 says, Sounds like Georgia Tech is a pressure defense focused on pressuring the quarterback and the mistakes. That works against passing teams. If Georgia comes out, takes it right, and forces their will, overpowering a physically inferior Georgia Tech, then Georgia's, Georgia Tech's pressure tactics going to be negated. Uh, he said you can expect a four or five uh, of Georgia's running backs to get involved in this game plan. The onus is going to be on Georgia's offensive line to win the game. It should be interesting to see how they respond after last weekend's execution failures. Yeah, completely different situation. It may be raining on Saturday, but most quarterbacks, most you know, football players will tell you that a windy day is actually harder on you, typically speaking, than a rainy day. So if it rains for the game, that may be less of a weather impact than what the uh, wind would have been last Saturday. Uh Kyle and Meg says uh, the only thing better to add to that prediction is Georgia Tech scores zero points, calling for a shutout for Georgia against Georgia Tech on Saturday. Maybe that is the way that'll go. UGA 66 also says that Georgia stifled North Carolina's offense in the second half by adjusting the signs of a good coach. Yeah, Carolina was down, was up 17 nothing in that game, I mean to say. And then Tech came back and won an odd performance for the Tar Heels. We've had a relatively odd year this year. And then finally, Dog Crazy 76 says, pedal to the metal for 60 minutes. Uh, I'll give it to the Nats. They shut down North Carolina and made adjustments in the second half and aggressive throughout. However, we are not the Tar Heels. We have better depth, more physical, aggressive talent. We don't back down. Go Dog, Sikkim, Rec Tech, and everybody uh, that they play. That's exactly right. And I think we have a tendency sometimes to overthink a lot of this. The truth is the way better team will be wearing red and black on Saturday, and uh, Georgia Tech likely already knows that. And it may be just one of those deals where they're looking to get in and get out without too much harm being done because they know that they have very little chance to actually compete for full four quarters against Georgia. So we'll see. We'll be back Friday to talk to you about it. And, of course, see you live all day throughout the day from Athens on Saturday. Hope you all enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management and our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Don't forget to find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price is promised. We've had cold weather. There's more cold weather on the way. A reminder to you to get that heating system tuned back up to factory fresh specs. R.S. Andrews can help you out with that. So find them online at rsandrews.com. Have a great day. We will see you back here Friday, everybody.